1: Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers, and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 374, the new Gateway Games. Children's games? we like to thank all of our Patreon backers for help bringing us a brand new episode. Well, welcome back, everybody. We missed you. We were I don't know, mysteriously gone for a week. I mean, we were th- with you in spirit, but we were gone for a week. But we're back
0: in person. We are, we are back and healthy, and everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. So, those who re- <laughs> those of you who reached out and were like, "Hey, where, where, what's going on? You all right? Where's my content? We're fine, guys. Everything's going good." Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the world being what it is, things happen health issues pop up people get sick and then you just got to take the time but everything's good now we're happy we're back to the board games doing what matters most sharing with you what games we want to buy and played and you should buy or not buy and definitely not pay shipping on
1: yeah i i think in this day and age anytime there's a small glitch it's almost like yeah the end of the world right it's gonna be the end of the world it's totally the end (laughs) of the world but we are still here with you, thankfully, and so glad that you joined us here this week at the table. So we get to talk about the most fun that anyone could have with cardboard on a table. I guess, on the, other than a pizza, right? Because you get a pizza in a cardboard box. Mm. That is a lot of fun. Yeah. True. That's a hard one. Pizza to or the board
0: game. Up. Yeah,
1: pizza's I pretty good. Know. Pizza is good. But board game is crunchier? Yes, board games crunchier, right? Mm, good call. Good call. Say, <laughs> so, there you go. There you go. I pulled it out, man. But yeah, so t- speaking of cardboard, as we do each and every week, Anthony, I don't know about you, but you know, it does feel like the end of the world apocalypse coming, and you know, might as well play a board game that's related to that. <laughs> and you know, in a world where the only thing that we have to look forward to is Marvel movies, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone, maybe you, maybe somebody out there uh, backed Marvel zombies from Simon. And I didn't.
0: no, <laughs> no, not even a, not even a little bit. No, no, not. And I'm really glad I didn't. I know where you're going with this, and I'm really glad I didn't. All right.
1: Well. I mean, considering that everything is bad, everything is wrong, everything's upside down. Uh, what could go wrong, Anthony? <laughs> <laughs> With a, yeah, so- a nine million dollars.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's okay. So this was a-, a Kickstarter, I don't remember when. Not too long ago. Uh I think in the fall. And it went great. You know, they made all the monies in the world. I think yeah, nine million dollars plus some stuff after the fact. You had I don't know, 12, 13 boxes of stuff, get a giant Galactus. I was very tempted several times to go in on this because I do like the new Zombicide format, like Zombicide 2.0. The rules are, they're, they're sleek, they're streamlined. It's fun. There's a lot, a lot of stuff in here. But I didn't go in on it because trying to save money and just not knowing I'm not going to play this anytime soon. Um, and then fast forward five months, four months, whatever it might be. And, you know, they're, the pledge managers are up. They're asking people to pay their shipping, get this ready to go in the next year or so. And hey, guess what? Shipping is obscene. <laughs> so, um, the original estimates were like a hundred bucks for shipping, fifty to a hundred dollars. And then when they finally came in in April, it was like a hundred and fifty-five for the single wave shipping. And if you wanted two wave shipping, which got you the like the base stuff early and the rest of it later. You're talking about 200 plus dollars, right? And that's domestic. That's here in the US where Simon is located, where they're shipping from. If you're overseas, <laughs> oh boy, good luck with that. Um, so it's, you know, people are upset, understandably, because you're paying hundreds of dollars extra. Somebody posted on BoardGameGeek, I saw this earlier today, it was a $300 difference if you chose to get Galactus versus if you didn't. Right. So the cost of shipping for Galactus alone is almost is more than double the cost of Galactus or no, is almost half the cost of Galactus by itself. So you're paying all this extra money. Anyways, the point is a lot of people are are paying this anyways, of course, because they all in on the game. It was already hundreds of dollars. Why not pay the extra couple hundred? But man, you know, that's so much money. And people who just back like the base thing with all the Kickstarter bonus stuff paying like 1150 150 and all of a sudden it's double that with the shipping so much so crazy and it's i don't know I, we could blame CMON for poor communication for sure it's not their fault that the the pipelines the shipping pipelines are completely messed up um but it's a mess it's a mess i don't know what we do about this as a hobby where the things that we love cost hundreds of dollars to move from one place to another because it's, it's gonna price it out for a lot of us
1: yeah, I think this is an issue that we've seen for a lot of our friends and like I don't know, the Pacific Islanders especially, right? You know, a lot of a lot of the countries in South Asia, they always get creamed for this. I remember way back in the in the day like you used to see kickstarters and it would be like price price price, ship 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 and then sometimes it would be like here's New Zealand and here's Australia and and then like you know, and then the, the shipping was double or triple the prices in some cases. And you really felt terrible for that because it's it's got to be hard enough to get, you know, substantial games down there to begin with. And then the prices are just so extraordinary. You know, and I, I guess the real issue here, as you said, Anthony, there's just things that are outside everyone's control and no one's necessarily like hardcore to blame, I guess. But also at the same time, there's been a lot of bad communication and terrible rhetoric and just, you know, and I'm not, you know, again, it's one of those situations where we're all on the same team. We want to support the designers. We want to support the publishers. We want to make sure that they have what they need. I mean, there's no bigger fan of board gaming than all of the people who pay all the money for these board games. We're not just the general public. You know, it's it's something specific. It's something that we're purchasing and we're purchasing it for a reason. And now the shipping's at a point and it's been at a point for quite some time now. In fact, this is just the newest iteration of like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. So uh, it's it's already slowed down, if not stopped. A lot of my Kickstarter purchasing. And that's kind of a shame. You know, and i I got I want to throw one last thing in here about that too, because I was using Kickstarter way back in the day when Kickstarter or the idea of Kickstarter was like you were supporting a project that could not be produced otherwise, so you were investing money in a project that was taking one, two or more years, so there was a partnership because you were making an investment. And that's still kind of true. So if CMON or other companies are asking for that amount of money in shipping or charging like crazy rates for their games, I don't know if I feel comfortable with handing over money to a company for it to sit for like two years where I could purchase something now or I could make, you know, a couple of pennies in interest, but at least it's in my pocket instead of like, here's $400 that I will not see, you know, come back around to me for two, three years from now. That just seems wrong. And I think that's something that's often missed out on is that Kickstarter is not just some online store. It's an investment in a product in order for it to be produced.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be. Yeah. And like a lot of these companies treat it as that they treat it as like a pre-order system. But yeah. then you get like, I'm looking at my own list and i You know, one example is Queen Games, right? And I know they've had a lot of trouble with their own pipeline, but I had backed Upgrades for Shogun and I backed the first run of Stefan Feld stuff. And both of those now are like 14 months and 11 months overdue. And I don't know when they're going to ship. And that's, I understand why it's happening. This stuff happens all the time, but that's a company that theoretically has the budget to print things, right? They don't necessarily, and if they don't, that's problematic because they've been around for a while and they do have a business and a model and employees and budget um it's not like you know an isaac childress in his basement building out gloomhaven for the first yes. time and like i need money to publish this it's hey we've got a new game we just don't want to take on the financial risk and that's you know that obviously that's what simon does That's what a lot of these big companies do and i don't necessarily have a problem with it but when we're looking at Hundreds of dollars in shipping or multi month or year delays or just crazy, ridiculous, obscene prices with all these add ons you don't really need. It just, I don't know, the system starts to feel a little broken, you know? And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's the investment model to it that bothers me because,
1: again, once upon a time, there was a scenario where you, as somebody who was back in a campaign, got to make substantial. I wouldn't say feedback necessarily, but you got to say things, content creators and publishers listen to you. And then there was this round table of communications on about the product because it was something you developed together. And I think what you said, you know, Gloomhaven is the perfect example of that. Here's the single creator publisher who needed the support and the financial investment so that he could produce a game. But queen games is not that company and Feld's, games have been out in different iterations for quite some time there's no reason those games should take that long to print and regardless of the shipping there's other ways to go around it so yeah i you know it's really hard it really is i mean i feel bad about it i mean there's just nothing there's nothing good about this there's nothing to feel good about it's just games are taking longer to produce they're taking longer to ship and they're more expensive in around every every part of it is more expensive to produce and we live in a day and age of 3d printers so i don't i don't understand i just they have to find a different model it's if it, they have to find a different way to produce in the countries in which they're going to ship they're going to have to do it because at some point it's just going to burst and that's it i don't know
0: whatever yeah it's yeah, I mean, I, I like I would be perfectly happy with MSRP being forty percent higher if it didn't mean hundred dollars shipping charges, right? Um, yeah, but I don't I don't know where it ends up, and you know we don't know all the details of why these things happen necessarily. But at a certain point, it's it's not even like we're mad at the company. You guys are terrible. It's more of just like we just need to come up with a better solution. And so if whoever's working on that, get working, figure it out. Because <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a logistics guy. Well, like I said, uh, any publishers out
1: there, content creators or designers out there who are mad at people for being mad at the prices are missing the point, right? We are legitimately the people that want you to succeed, want you to be multi-millionaires, right? There's no, there's no one who's a gamer who doesn't go, you know, like is not the biggest fan of their of their board game designers or their small companies that are publishing those games we want you all to make all the monies we just want you to take some time to find ways that it doesn't cost us all the monies we want you to make maximum profit from it we do there's nobody who ever you know opens a board game and and just like that was a great game but if only the publisher or designer could make less money off of it we never do that it's just it's it's hindering the industry it's hindering gameplay and i think we'll talk about today anthony in our feature review how board gaming for us for everyone who's listening out there seems to be the thing that's easy to pick up easy to get to the table and easy to play i know there's there's some sarcasm in there but you know somewhat right you could get those games to the table with the costs and the delays for these games the general public doesn't have that knowledge of experience in gaming that maybe they once did So everything becomes a lot more difficult. So for today's feature review, we'll be talking about the new Gateway games and why, in fact, they actually might be children's games. I think we're going to blow you away in a little bit. But, Anthony, before we get into our feature review and everything that's happening with us, uh, let's talk about what's going on with BGA and our listeners out there. We have a little bit of an Instagram giveaway, I hear. We do.
0: Yeah. So uh, I i have we get a lot of things that come in we get a lot of resources we have a lot of games um and so we have built up kind of a, a a log of relatively recently released games that we want to give away to the listeners to the followers to the readers and we're going to be doing that on instagram so if you do not follow us on instagram now please do we're instagram.com slash board gamers anonymous you can follow us there i We post gameplay photos, we post our questions of the week, all that good stuff. Um, And right now there is a post pinned at the top that says, real big giveaway time. Um, And all you have to do to enter that giveaway is share the post, like the post, comment on the post, right? So if you are following us and you do any of those things, you'll be entered for a chance to win one of five games that we're giving away in May. Um, These are, again, great games, relatively recent ones. We have a copy of Smartphone Inc. We have Tabanusi origins first builders a couple other games in there as well so hop in there you'll have a chance to win one um the announced the winners will be announced on may 30th so right at the end of the month and so you have plenty of time you got two more weeks to get in there and uh get a chance to win one of those all right so that's what's going on with us again
1: we want to hear from you connect with us and we're going to drop some pretty major cardboard on your table with or without a pizza we haven't decided yet you'll see you'll see what comes in the mail all right anthony so let's talk about the games that we want to get the table let's talk about our acquisition
0: disorders all righty uh so for me this week uh the game i wanted to talk about is terracotta army this is a, a new one just recently announced by board and dice uh it's designed by ooh, i'm gonna mess up this name so bad um <laughs> Uh, Preslumslaw Fornal, um, worked on Blossoms and Kwiatki, and then Adam Kupinski. I know how to say his name, um, who we all know from Nemesis and Lords of Hellas and Frostpunk and, and lots of other good stuff. So, uh, they've developed Terracotta Army for, uh, Board and Dice, and, uh, they just recently announced this game, it's gonna be releasing later this year, and if you're not familiar with the Terracotta Army, it is, uh... The emperor in in China, and I don't remember exactly when, but they they passed away, and to protect him in the afterlife, a massive army of statues of, of different warriors were developed and guard the tomb. Right? These were found and are still intact, and or like this great archaeological find. Right? Um, so in the game, you are the craftsmen and the artists building the statues. And so you have to collect resources as one does upgrade your workers as one does and seek favor with the advisors to the emperor who are overseeing this giant project. Um, And so you just, you basically have to be the best builder of terracotta warriors. uh, And those things are going to go into the mausoleum. So you're going to have little miniatures, um, warrior miniatures that go into the mausoleum themselves, uh, forming different groups. And these are going to be based on different types of players that go in there. And you're also going to be gathering different resources to be able to do that. Um, It looks really interesting. It's a different kind of theme and it it draws on something culturally without necessarily stereotyping or misrepresenting that culture or adjusting the history of it necessarily. It's, it's looking at a specific element of um, historical find and you're building towards that, which I think is a cool idea. Uh, So Yeah, it it looks cool. It's an interesting way to put miniatures into a board game. It makes sense. Like a lot of times you see miniatures in Euro games. You're like, that doesn't need to be there. That could be a meeple. In this case, you're like, nah, you should have miniatures for the Terracotta Warriors. That makes sense. Um, So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how this one turns out to getting a chance to to play it. Uh, I think they said it's coming out towards the latter half of the year. It's one of their uh, fall releases. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it and hopefully when it, hits shells tables etc we have a chance to to get it out and give it a play and and let you know what we think but for now i'm keeping my eye out for terracotta army
1: nice yeah i did see this too it looks great and like you said it makes sense to actually for once have all that plastic right (laughs) you know on the board because you know it's, it's truly representative and thematic for the game yeah excited Uh, I'm going to throw us back to something a little bit old that we had talked about before. We had reviewed it. It recently was up on GameFound, and it backed. So you have an opportunity now to do a late pledge if you're interested. Uh, This is the Palaces of Carrera. This is the second edition from Game Brewer. This is from Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer. And this is a game that I've talked about quite some time ago. Uh, At least the original one, the original The Palaces Carrera, where this was a game that I didn't think it was going to see a USA release because it was in Europe and it was pretty much locked down. And I think I got a German edition at some point. I still have it. It doesn't have any English direction. A friend of mine had picked it up years ago um, and was able to get like the little, you know, little text, you know, you can kind of slip into his sleeve so you could figure out how to play the game. And it was a game that was a lot of fun. It was all about purchasing marble in uh, different regions in Italy and building up all of the different buildings so this is a game you can also find currently on board game arena. It's an older game, but it's a lot of fun and it really it implements one of these kind of really interesting mechanics where you put out the marble and the marbles all different colors, and the wheel will will move throughout the game. You'll be able to, you know, move it. And as the as the wheel moves, the the marble becomes cheaper and cheaper. So it's one of those things almost like a press your luck situation where how, you know, how low do you let something go before you pick it up? But initially, and again, based upon what kind of buildings you're making and what kind of regions you're building, and there is some marble that's more expensive than others. So there's a press your luck element and then there's a race element. And in those different regions, you could either score money, which will allow you to buy more marble, or score victory points. And you're trying to get there before anyone else does, because once you're able to build the building, you lock down that city. And there's also a lot of, you know, set collection in the game. But it's a very fun, dynamic game that, you know, just did not get the love, at least initially when it first came out. And then recently, when I found out that it was coming out of second edition. I was really excited about it. It was one of those games where I did like it enough that I, I would almost consider purchasing it a second time and Game Brewer brought it out. And again, it was on a Kickstarter game game found kind of situation. And again, it was a very expensive version of it. Now Game Brewer, and I've talked about Game Brewer a lot. I really like the games that they choose to produce. But I really hate the prices that they decide to, (laughs) you know, put out for their games. Like famously, like Gugan came out. and I was like, this seems nice. It seems like a lighter game. Way too expensive. Ooh, Paris. I like Paris. I'm definitely going to do. Nope, nope. Way too expensive. And this is another game where it's not a like it's not a super rich euro, but it is a good euro. It is a classic good euro that. You do get to pick the pieces from that wheel. You do get to, you know, press your luck, and and you do get to race to build those different buildings in those different areas, and it's a solid game. You can pick up a late pledge currently on GameFound for about $78. Even with the updated components here, it is still honestly a little too expensive for me. I already own the original version, this obviously has better pieces to it, but there's nothing dramatically different. If you could buy old, by all means, if you could find the other version of this or the earlier version of it, it's probably just as good to pick up, but it's been out of print for so long. So I just want to bring to your attentions, The Palaces of Carrera, um, it's a classic Euro game that since it did not get a US release, did not get the attention, did not get an English release even. So check it out. It's on game Found. If you can manage the price, if you can manage the shipping or you can manage it once it actually gets to retail, which I probably would recommend, uh, definitely check it out and pick it up. That's the Palaces of Carrera.
0: Yeah, this game is on my list. Like, I've been meaning to play this forever. Like, I got to get you to pull out your German copy so we can get it played. <laughs> like I didn't back this because I would never played it and it was crazy expensive. Um, but yeah, you want to play it. I've heard a lot of good things.
1: Yeah, the, exp- the they it has a little mini expansion with it. That makes the game much more rich, right? It, it just adds an extra level to the game. Otherwise, it's 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 a good classic Euro. But yeah, you definitely want to play with the expansion. Never play without the expansion. All right. So let's talk about the games that actually hit the table this week. Anthony, I did the thing that I did not want to do, the thing that I was talking about earlier, <laughs> which is I spent all the monies on a game, And all the monies on a game that I knew going into the game was certainly on the lighter side of gaming. And in fact, it was a game kind of that I already owned. that game is Marvel United X-Men Edition. I backed Marvel United when it first came out. The miniatures seemed great. They were chibi base, which is not a you know it's it's it doesn't it's not a bad thing. It's just a different thing. And the miniatures, of course, since they were coming from Simon, were so good. I was like, yeah, I'll back that, and I backed it. And it's still somewhere collecting dust. When the X Men came out, I was like. Who in their right mind would actually back this? You already have Marvel United, which has like a ton of stuff. Like, again, it comes with so much stuff in the base box that it could be a lifestyle game. You could certainly pick out either of these Kickstarters and play it the rest of your life, right? This could be your game. You could be known for this game. Your family could play this game. There's so many characters, so many combinations. It's a co-op game. Sure, sure, this could be a thing. Here's the thing, and I've talked about this before. You you all try to talk me out of it, and you didn't do a good job because I did back it. <laughs> uh, I'm a huge X-Men fan, like way back in the day, X-Men fan, before they became huge, before even the cartoon back in the 90s came out. And I was collecting X-Men comics way back when. And again, I'm not the first person to do this. X-Men been big, I guess, since the 60s. So when this campaign came out, what was really interesting about it was – it did make upgrades and changes to Marvel United. You got additional cards to play. You got additional modes to play. So not only was it just not just co-op, but you could actually, again, based on this massive Kickstarter, there were versions of the expansion boxes that would actually allow you to play as teams against each other cooperatively to try and get the best score. Or you could play one versus all. You could actually play as the enemy versus the other players, which is amazing. And they also have options in the game where thematically some of the villains in the game who, again, if you, if you know the movies or you know the, the comics or anything else, sometimes they're good guys for some reasons. So you can actually play with them as hero characters in the game, which is also awesome because that's thematically true to the universe. And especially for the Marvel universe, you get a lot of that. Now you're seeing a lot of that in the movies, but the X-Men were really, I feel, and again, I'm not a comic historian, but I again hundreds of hundreds of comics. X-Men were very much about this kind of uneasy challenge/slash truce where all the mutants were seen as different. And again, without going into all the political ideology and all the changes throughout time was this idea of feeling different in the world. And some people taking different measures in order to be accepted or be secure. So you always had this conflict between the different mutants, some doing just straight up super evil stuff, some doing kind of evil, some doing eh, so, so, and then like the hero characters. So, there was some crossover back and forth so i did like the idea that there was multiple ways to play this game that were very thematically true to the x-men you know series as a whole so if you back the original you know marvel united you got all the marvel characters which is wonderful and i and i did back and i got all that kind of stuff and mostly because i feel like the marvel universe is something you can trade on right now like if you brought this to the table probably for the first time people will be like oh I understand who, you know, uh, Star-Lord is, right? Whereas, you know, before those movies came out, no one knew who a Star-Lord was. I did, but that's just me. Now with the X-Men, obviously, eventually, they'll get their own movies and they'll kind of come into, like, the public sphere more than they already have with their own movies. But for me personally, this was one of those things where I've always loved these characters. I wanted to have... And I had, you know, growing up here and there, some toys versions of this. This gave me all of the characters. I mean, practically, not all of the characters, because goodness knows comics. This gave me all the characters, gave me a lot of different ways to play it, gave me a lot of different scenarios to play it. Um, I could go on for hours about these different scenarios, but these different scenarios relate to the comics. So when you look at the boxes and you're like, huh, what's this about? Turns out there was a whole comic arc related to that. There's also Deadpool in there where most people know. There's X-Force in here. There's the Fantastic Four for some reason were in this collection, which is great for me because, yeah, I backed it. So there was a lot of different ways to play the game, a lot of fun, a lot of upgrades. I backed it. I got it. I'm still waiting on the play mat, which is delayed again because shipping and stuff. Now, the actual game itself, if you have not played Evil, even Marvel United or the X-Men version of it, is rather simple. Basically, you're going to choose between two to four heroes. And again, you can play this solo. So you could play the characters because, again, the base set of the game is actually a co op game. There is a solo version of this game, it's the Professor X version where you could play solo, but it's a co op game. So you could play solo anytime you want, but it's nice to have that solo game in there. When you play the game, you'll pick up three characters. The base set comes with your traditional X-Men characters that we all know and love, like Cyclops and Storm and Beast and Wolverine. Choose three characters, choose two characters, four characters, whatever works for you. I find three characters works best because when you play the game as a co-op, basically what's going to happen is the villain plays their you know, attack card that's going to do something that's going to interact with the game and characters, usually causing damage to your hero characters, or again, based on the scenario and play. So I don't know if you're an X-Men fan, but the first movie had Senator Kelly in it, who was against mutants, and Mystique is trying to, you know, end his life because she's trying to protect mut- mutants, but she's a bad, it's a whole story. That scenario is actually in this game. So again, awesome, fun, thematic, love it. But also, it adds different gameplay elements, so you actually have an escort mission in this game. but the reason why you play that is because the villain plays one card this is the game plays the same every time. villain plays one card, then your heroes play their card. so if you now at the start of the game, you get to play three hero cards again, there's so much to this game. I don't want to go into any kind of detail. we've already talked about that there's basically attack, there's movement, there's you know special hero effects where you could save bystanders or attack the environment which is usually very bad or there's this general kind of like wild token there's also and this is what i really like with this game more even more so than marvel united is they spent a little more effort putting in special cards into this game that are really thematically true so wolverine heals and again there's an endless number of variations and stories i could tell you with this i'll save it for a patreon episode but for now know that in like a deck of 12 cards you're going to get again between three to ten cards that are going to be very thematic to that particular hero in the game and as you play a card you'll also be able to benefit from the card that was previously placed so you get to do a lot of things in the game it's not a hard game you're basically playing cards the cards are also your health you're trying to achieve whatever particular scenario in the game needs to be achieved typically It's trying to save enough bystanders, trying to knock out enough thugs or try to stop enough threat in order so you could take out the villain in that scenario. That's pretty much typically, again, the other boxes add a lot of different variations and goals and outcomes. But you're trying to do that before the villain runs out of cards because that will mark the game. There's a couple of ways the game comes to an end. That is also one of the ways that the game comes to the end. So you are racing the clock throughout the game. You move around through different locations using your chibi miniatures. The miniatures are really high quality. The detail is pretty impressive. Now, again, it depends on the character. Some characters, you can see they spent like a crazy amount of love and care. Uh, Gwenpool, I don't know if you know Gwenpool. There's a long story with that. She has amazing detail. Whereas some of the other characters, eh, not as much. But I've seen pictures of these. People have painted them. They look amazing. I have not played all the different modes here yet, but I played absolutely everything in the box, in the in the main box that most people will pick up. I played all the villains. I played all the heroes. I picked in other heroes to bring in from like the other boxes. They all play slightly different. And I feel like they play just barely enough to kind of substantiate. If you do love this universe of characters to pick up the stuff because each of the hero characters and villains do something different. So Juggernaut, for example, is one of the villain characters. His main thing is he'll run around all the different locations and just not stop, and he'll do damage to everybody. That's basically what Juggernaut does, right? Not super complicated. The card quality here is not the best. It's, it's below average. The chick quality Uh, All these little different tokens that you get in the game are above average quality. I didn't pick up the plastic tokens, which now I kind of wonder. But in fact, the tokens are very good quality. The boards themselves are a little thin and flimsy. I did pick up the mat, still waiting for it to come, hopefully to better protect things. You can sleeve the cards. The boxes are individuals. They kind of work to hold everything in. The actual plastic insert that holds the heroes and villains are marked so you know exactly where everything goes back but there's such a thin plastic that one of my boxes when i opened it they just some of the spots already cracked so some of you out there don't care we'll kind of like put everything in bags or just throw all the figures in they're high quality they're not going to break or chip or anything like that but nonetheless it's a nice set it's a nice game i like the fact that you can play this co-op it's easy But it adds enough variety for the heroes and the villains that with just a few minutes of reading through the rules, you get a sense of what comes into play. I haven't played the team variant yet. I I look forward to that. I'm really looking forward to the one versus many. That looks excellent. And in fact, when you play some of those variants, there are actually additional hero and villain cards that come into your hand. That allow you to do special comic book related tricks and attacks and different special abilities. Again, haven't played that version yet. I think that version will be even better when you're actually playing against other characters that are controlled by players and not just a typical co-op game. So, again, a lot to love in this game. Uh, Again, has so much of the characters that really fit. For example... Storm, who has her 90s version Mohawk, she didn't have her you know, lightning powers and her weather control, so she punched a lot. So the actual character here has punching. That's basically what they do. Old man Logan, if you watch Logan, the movie out there, was retired, did not want to be involved. And if you were at the comics, you get more of why that was a thing. So when he comes out, he builds up a lot of attack, a lot of rage, but he does not do anything until he gives up you know, being retired and comes back into play and then he could hit like crazy. So again, thematic, plays good throughout. Uh, the The huge collection is huge. I don't recommend it to anyone who's not an X-Men fan because you can play this game and not know anything about X-Men and make sense of how the card's play and what they do. You don't need any prior knowledge to this, but I feel like, the miniatures are only something an X-Men fan is going to love because they're almost every character is here. And the cards themselves are related thematically to the characters. So for me, this gets a play. I'd like to see the other different gameplay elements to move it up to a buy and feel like I could sleep at night. But right now it gets a solid play. If you are interested, definitely check out the base box. I don't think you need everything here. The different modes are only available, again, with some of the other expansion boxes, so pick and choose, but this is also backwards compatible to Marvel United, so you get to use all the different characters in different ways. If you're a Marvel fan, you're probably going to back this. If you're an X-Men fan, you're definitely going to back it. It's a play for, I would say, everybody, and a buy for those kind of
0: hardcore X-Men fans. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. So glad I didn't back it because I'm not a hardcore X-Men fan and I can play your copy mm-hmm. at some point and be like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> it does have
1: Sentinels in it, which are like, they're not Galactus size, but they're big.
0: So that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only thing I wanted out of this was the Fantastic Four and the Sentinels. So it wasn't worth paying whatever, 200 and something dollars for. I but know. They look cool. They do. So yeah.
1: I'll be uh, checking out the other modules over the next coming weeks and months and years, I'm sure. So I'll, you know, jump back in and let everyone know how those things are going. All right. So that's everything that's hitting our table. Let's get on to our feature review. So our feature review this week is the new Gateway Games. And turns out, and this is shocking to a lot of us out there, they're probably children's games. So Anthony, my friend, we've (laughs) talked about this and before we get canceled, let's just finish the episode and see if we can kind of let people know why that is a thing. Now you have, I guess, the most direct experience of this recently. Would you like to talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, yeah. And so like I should preface this too, so it doesn't come off the wrong way. I I've mentioned this a couple times. I'm teaching a class, uh, a college level class about board games, specifically a composition and rhetoric class in which I use board games as the text that students are evaluating. So instead of reading books or watching movies, they're playing games and then writing about them. It's very cool. It's a lot of fun. And uh, students are having a blast. I'm having a blast. But the thing that I found is not that students are struggling necessarily to wrap their heads around the games. Uh, That's not surprising because board games can be complicated. It's that I have underestimated how much scaffolding and how much preparation and like building we need to do to make it accessible to everyone, right? So if I put a game that we might normally consider gateway, like Dominion in front of 22 students, maybe 15 of them are like, cool, I got it. But then seven, it's a little much, right? There's a lot going on there. And if I go up much above that, looking at games like Wingspan, which we talked about a couple weeks ago with the famous Mandy Patinkin video, the brains will explode. <laughs> like it's yes. too much. And it's not that the game is too complicated. It's that it's throwing too many things that are unfamiliar and new at the same time, right? There's no reference points. There's no like framework to build on there and so the cognitive load is so high that people just shut down um which is not what we want we want to introduce games to as many people as possible and for them to have fun and in my case for them to be able to write about them but if it's like here's 11 new things you have to learn all in one game it's just too much stuff right and so it turns out that one of the best ways to deal with that is to go to the games that don't just boil it down to a single mechanic, which is what gateway games typically do, but boil it down to like a single type of action, which is what children's games do, right? They try to make it as accessible to as broad a range of people as possible, while also having to be fun for the parents who play the games with the children, right? That's a huge thing because you can't just pick a game that's like, "Oh, this is simple, so people who have trouble engaging with the game they can play it too. It needs to be people who have trouble engaging with new types of rules, but also everybody else who maybe is okay with the more complex rules and everybody can have fun together. That's a tough spectrum to find. It turns out children's games developers have been doing this for decades and there are a bunch of games that already do it. uh, Many of which are already on my shelves because I have children. So that's, that's what we wanted to talk about is these games that do a really good job of being accessible to a broad range of ages, boiling it down to one or two very simple mechanics making it accessible not dumbing it down to the point of being insulting but still giving enough for people to latch onto and learn about games and get into the hobby so hence new gateway games right
1: <laughs> exactly and and again i think that's also part of what we've seen with the prices and with kickstarter is that More and more these days, even though the industry is growing, it seems like it's harder to get those challenging games out to the public so that they can encounter them in a meaningful way, but also have enough people playing them that there is real experience and real teachers out there. Because I think generally what we we see happening out there is like the you mentioned the Manny Patinkin video where looks at it. Tries it, gets so frustrated, and just is done with it. Mm-hmm. And when the prices are high for games, they don't get to the table or general table. Like you're dropping 60 dollars on a game, you want to believe that you can actually play that. But you know, it's there's a there's a barrier of entry for things as well. But you, as you mentioned, Anthony, the scaffolding is key. So oftentimes, and maybe you could talk a little more about this, Anthony, like. Just the the term gateway games. We've used that a lot. We've had several episodes. I can't remember how many episodes we actually had about gateway games and what that means for our industry and how often we promote gateway games as
0: what the general public would find accessible. Right. And I think that's the key, right? We say gateway because we are inside of that gate. And we're thinking, like, we want more people to come in here. This is a great, big, amazing theme park that we're in of board games. We want more people to come in. Here's the gateway through which non-gamers can join us. Um, So these are the games that are not too complicated, don't take too long, and most importantly, don't introduce too many new ideas, right? Like, at, at a base level, we have to assume most people have not played anything more complicated than Monopoly. Many of them have, but we can't assume they have, right? Some people haven't played a board game in 20 or 30 years. They just haven't. So they're coming in and you basically have to assume no knowledge. You know, they understand dice and cards and that's about it. So if you throw two different mechanics at them at once, it's too much. And so a gateway game is supposed to be designed to be like, here's one mechanic and we're going to, you know, delve into it as deeply as we can. And that's it. And that's all the game is like, you do one thing. But some of the gateway games don't just do the one thing, right? Uh, Ticket to Ride is one of the most famous gateway games. Um, and it, you in the game, you're building up a hand of cards based on what you pull up, and then you're placing trains down. And so everybody can understand that basic idea, right? Nobody that I've shown this game to, none of my students either for, for that matter, have had trouble understanding the basic idea of get cards, spend cards, build trains, But where they sometimes get stuck is the different routes, right? Like, oh, I can't go there because someone else has already gone there. And I'm like, oh, there's no way to get to that location now. Or, oh, that's cut off. Or, oh, how do I draw more tickets, right? How do I get more points, right? There is a little bit of scaling in that game from just basic mechanics into doing well um, that people can get hung up on. Dominion is very similar. Like, yes, you play all your cards, you buy new cards, they get more powerful. You play all your cards, you buy new cards, but building an engine with those cards to actually effectively convert all that additional resources that you built up into buying victory points. That's a, that's a gap that some people struggle to, to cross if they've never played a card game and they've never even heard of deck building. Um, and so those are things that it's it not just with non gamers, but just people coming to game night for the first time, families, you know, friends, family members, especially like at holidays, often this comes up of, this is a little too much. There's a lot going on here. You know, any a game takes more than five minutes to teach, people might just look at you be like this is a lot. I don't know. And those are the games we consider to be gateway games, right? Your Splendors and your ticket to rides and your Dominions. Um, people still find those to be too complex. And, you know, we can roll our eyes at that, but then the people still aren't playing the games. They're not coming through our gateway. So <laughs> we got to find other it's games true. to show them how fun it is. And once you give a baseline, You can then add all those extra bits, right? Like, okay, you understand the core idea of building out these cards and doing things with them. Okay, now let's layer in the idea of victory points and building a deck, right? In Dominion. But you have to have the basic layer first, um, which I think is what we're sometimes missing. And then we're just like, okay, well, you're just not a gamer. You don't want to play these. That's fine. Moving on. But maybe they are. Maybe they would have fun. We just threw too much of them at once.
1: Yeah, in a way, in a strange way, those gateway games that are supposed to be welcoming become gatekeeper games that keep people out. Yeah. Right? So sit at a table and now try to mentally juggle three different mechanics in your head at the same time. And and they're just like, but, but wait a minute. Like, nope, you got to juggle three, not just one. You got to juggle three. So if you can't do it, you can't be with the cool kids at the table, just saying. So... There is, as you said, Anthony, there's something very wise about what they're doing with children's games. and as far as the scaffolding is concerned and introducing mechanics and outcomes, and again, a lot of things that we take for granted are complicated and unknown. I think we've talked about this many years and we talked about it on the podcast when you play a Euro game, for example, and it's your you know your turn and or let's say it's a, a worker placement game more specifically, there's always that spot on the board where you could take victory points. And especially early in the game, the person who takes that spot, either there's nowhere else to go, and that's kind of like a consolation prize, or if they take that early in the turn order, you're like, oh, no, that person's going to get creamed. They haven't played games before. But it would make perfect sense that if victory points is the thing that wins the game, you would take the spot that would be giving you victory points. So... It's really, it's more of a complicated thought-inducing process than, we, than, we, than I think all of us probably really considered. And I think that, again, some of the games you put together here, Anthony, do a great job of introducing those different mechanics in a way that it may seem like children's games, but really what it is is an opportunity to learn some complicated mechanics that open them up to brand new worlds
0: yeah so like i i've chosen a few games specifically for the fact that they are not they don't feel strictly like children's games right you might hear some of these being like i play these games i'm like great that's that's what they're for they're supposed to be as accessible as possible these are all games i've played with my kids and i also have fun with um and i think that's the most important part because you can't just throw a Haba game in front of somebody and be like here here's a basic mechanic figure it out now let's do something harder That's insulting, but also not fun, right? (laughs) Because you're doing something that's designed for a four-year-old or a six-year-old or whatever it might be. These are games that are designed to be as accessible as possible for ages as young as five, six, seven years old, but also speak more broadly to people outside of that age range. Um, So yeah, let's dive into these. Um, First on the list, and this is the one I've had among the best luck with both with students and my children and at conventions just across the board. um, And I don't know that it's necessarily marketed as a children's game, but it's certainly in that weight range is, Hey, that's my fish. And so this very, at the beginning of the game, you put all your penguins out and on your turn, you just move it and you pick up the fish where you were sitting standing. And that's it, right? The emergence in the gameplay here comes once you've played it once or twice. And you start seeing how you can cut people off and block them out and cause them to float out to sea, right? And take larger chunks of the ice flow. That's not necessary to understand the game, but it builds naturally through the gameplay. And I think that's super important in games like this is the actions you take should be very, very simple. But something should come from them beyond just the immediate thing that you gain, Right. And hey, that's my fish. You move, you get a f- tile with some points on it, but you also get to impact the overall game board. And that's when people are like, oh, oh, okay, I could see what happens here. I could see how I can mess with people or how I'm being messed with. Um and that's that clicks almost immediately for anybody. Like, whether they're angry or happy about it, it clicks right away. That's why it's such a good game for that. Uh next up on the list, we have a couple of cooperative games. And so There's a lot of co-op games people label as gateway games, um, pandemic and forbidden Island kind of foremost among those. But in my experience, those games still have a lot going on, right? And they are designed for you to lose. They're both designed for you to lose like 75% of the time, which makes it less accessible. People don't like to lose over and over again. Right. And you can remind them like, Oh, you're supposed to lose, but it doesn't mean it's fun to lose. Um, Zombie Teens Evolution, I think Evolution, uh, is a a cooperative game. And it's actually like, I think, rated number one on Board Game Geek for children's games. Um, But it's also a legacy style game. Uh, And that's interesting because... It doesn't really break anything but it does add new mechanics as you play it does add other things but the most important thing is it gives you challenges to work towards that unlock stickers that unlock things in the game because the basic mechanics of the game are very simple it's just to keep the zombies away and then gather up the stuff you need and escape right it's not hard to do that um, unless the game you know bends the wrong way but if you have a specific challenge or something to work towards, it scaffolds in new ideas. It scaffolds up and gets more complex as you want it to. And you can attempt to do more difficult things. The very basic version of the game takes 10, 15 minutes, and you're probably going to win. That's great. It's a great way to introduce cooperative play. Also introduce like new mechanics coming into the game. Um, Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters is another one. It's in a little more traditional style co-op game where you run into a building and you're trying to find these different treasures, but then ghosts are popping up and if too many ghosts pop up in an area, they become haunted and they grow into these giant red ghosts. It's very similar to Pandemic, but it simplifies it with just a single deck of cards. You don't have to have any cards yourself to spend. You're just moving your character based on a die roll and the game doesn't beat you as often, right? It's fairly accessible in that way. Now the game also comes with ways to make it harder. And there's an expansion that then makes it even harder. So you can scale it up from the very basic level of difficulty where you might lose 20% of the time up to adding the seller, which makes it so you lose like 60% of the time if you want that harder challenge. So then again, you're layering in difficulty up and up and up. These games are ones that I'd recommend playing for people who've never played a co-op game, never played anything similar to that and are skeptical of it before you jump to like a pandemic or forbidden island um, where you have all this extra stuff going on but also you're gonna lose a lot and people just getting used to that idea of co-ops not necessarily being easy or winnable (laughs) you're gonna lose Um, the next three here are kind of staples of children's games Uh, we have dexterity games in general and there's a lot of them there's a lot of a lot of really good dexterity games. Um, and honestly, any of the dexterity games that are for adults would also be fine for this because they don't tend to add too many rules. You're flicking, you know, pitch car, you're flicking around a track. Uh, flick them up, you're just flicking bullets at different characters. Junk art, you're stacking stuff on top of them, each other. But these ones kind of boil it down even more, make it more accessible. Uh, Rhino Hero, you're folding cards and stacking them. We've all done that. Everybody's done that very, very simple, but it's also very fun because you're trying to see how high you can get. Um, ice cool. You're taking these little weeble wobble penguins and flicking them around inside of a, a frozen high school. And you get ice cool too. You put them together, you get a giant school and you flick them all over the place. Um, at a very base level, you're just trying to like complete the circuit. But if you want to make it more complex, you can try trick shots. There's all sorts of cool stuff you can do with those little penguins. Animal Animal upon animal is one of the all-time classic dexterity games. I don't. I know a lot of people who don't even consider this a children's game. Um, it, it is marketed as one. It's from Haba, but you're stacking little animal-shaped meeples on top of each other to see how high they can get. That's it. That's all you're doing. But it it has its own challenge. There's other ways to make it more complicated. It adds different layers to it. So these are all great ways to introduce how mechanics can kind of interplay with like physical interaction with the game components. Um, dexterity games, right? You're just physically doing a thing, but then you're gamifying that physical thing. Uh, most people are familiar with Jenga. You add in something a little more complex and it becomes more engaging. Um, Labyrinth is another really interesting game. Uh, there's a lot of versions of Labyrinth. You can get the classic version uh, from Robinsberger, The classic version with the little wizards, You can get Harry Potter labyrinth. You can get um, all these different types of labyrinth based on different themes, whatever it might be. But the basic idea is you're taking a tile and shoving it into a giant labyrinth. It changes the layout of the labyrinth. And then people have to, you're trying to reach different items based on the cards you have, and then get back to your starting point. Um, There's a bit of a memory component. There's some spatial components in terms of like being able to figure out how the tile that you place will affect the overall maze that you're moving through. There's a race component. You're trying to do all these things before your opponent. Um, But at the end of the day, the mechanic is take a tile, place a tile, move your guy. That is it, right? So anybody can do that. And then all the other stuff that comes from that builds off of that action, which um, I found is A, you can teach it to a child in 30 seconds, which is great. All you need, which means you can teach it to anybody in 30 seconds, but also it can get kind of complicated, right? You're trying to look at like three, four, five layers deep and it scales in difficulty, right? If everybody playing it's an adult, you're all going to be thinking at these more complex levels of how to move through the maze and it gets more complicated. And some of your moves can be made to block other people instead of just trying to help yourself. Also something that doesn't always become apparent in other types of games. Um, Another category of games I wanted to mention is the My First series. Uh, it's not it's not one single company, but there's a lot of these that have come out over the years. So there's my first Carcassonne, my first Stone Age, my first Castle Panic. Um, Ticket to Ride has First Journey for the US and Europe. Um, some of these are out of print now. So I think Stone Age in particular has been out of print for a little while. But if you have any of these, if you find any of these, they Effectively take gateway games and strip out even more of the rules and make them even more accessible, you know, for children, for sure. But also if you're just dealing with a large group of non-gamers who don't want to be overwhelmed and would like to be taught a game in five minutes, this is a really good way to do that. You're taking out layers of things that might otherwise be a barrier to entry. Um, Karuba is another great game. And the reason I put in Karuba specifically, A, it's from Haba, so it is definitely marketed as kind of a family, kids' weight game. But B, it's effectively a roll-and-write. Right? You have one person flips a tile, everybody else takes the same tile, you all place the same tile. right? So roll and rights are like this, flip-and-writes are like this. Karuba is the same, but it's very tactile. You're not drawing on anything, there are tiles for every action you take. You're building a map in front of you, and you're moving a person through that map. Um, Roland writes, I feel are also equally accessible, but they're not quite as a lot of people have a very similar reaction to you, Chris, of being like, I don't, I want to play a game. I don't want to write on a piece of paper. I want to play a game. Uh, Karuba is a game. You're playing the game and it's very, very simple because you you don't even really have to choose anything. You're just, someone's going to tell you what tile you're going to place. You take that tile, you place it somewhere in the map. That's it. That's all you're doing. Uh, and you're just trying to do it the most efficient way possible, so it definitely scales accordingly. And the last one here from like the children's pile, I wanted to mention was Rory's Story Cubes, which is not a game at all, really. Um, it's more of an activity, but it is one of the most engaging activities that I've had success with of people of all all ages. My kids, friends, family, students, whatever people love these things, and you can gamify it if you want like further than it already is but really you're taking these cubes you're rolling them and based on what pops up you are developing some kind of story and there are like different types of rules that come in the box that you can kind of work with but effectively it's a handful of dice with different pictures on them and it allows you to you can use it to, to feed into role playing games you can use it to build out like a group storytelling exercise you can use it to like do like an apples to apple style thing where different people come up with different types of stories and you choose which one you like best it's a lot of different ways to do it but at the end of the day you're rolling dice and discussing what's on those dice people dig that it's fun um it's also really 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 simple so <laughs> there's no rules let's roll the dice and do whatever we want with them um so those are a bunch of good kids games right Uh, I have a little little list here I put together of like adult entry level games that do resonate well with children that I've had luck with that kind of I would almost consider them children's games um, because they are so simple. Patchwork. Patchwork is brilliant. The more I've played this and the more people I've played it with, the more brilliant I find it. It is very, very simple and everybody gets it. Um, you, You know, don't even worry about teaching people. Rules about like the little patch, the extra patches or like income and stuff. Just worry about when they get there. Like you move the pawn, you take a thing, you pay for it, you put it on your quilt. Done, right? It's one mechanic. And there's a couple little rules that go after that. Uh, ticket to Ride New York and London. These don't fall into my first category, but they are like boiled down versions of the larger ticket to ride formula. Um, much smaller maps, much quicker game. You can play it in like 15, 20 minutes it's great uh it's been really really great with kids but also just anybody it's a good quick filler version of ticket to ride um abstract games in general but it's specifically ones that look good and are appealing to children um santorini is a, is a blast because you can remove those cards and just play the basic game or you can add the cards in which is like a fun little extra layer of uh complexity um Splendor, we mentioned Splendor before. This is a great gateway game, and it is fairly straightforward to teach people, especially because it starts to play itself towards the middle half of the game. (laughs) So uh, very accessible for just about anybody to kind of get their hands on. Other games kind of similar to Splendor, you have games like Century or Her Majesty's um, Service. These games also do interesting, similar things where you're just playing cards and they kind of build off of each other. Potion Explosion is, if you remove kind of the extra elements of scoring from this game, And just focus on take the marbles and place them to complete your potions and get the most potions in whatever amount of time you're set for the game. I feel like there's family rules in one of the expansions that does this. But my family, the way we've always played it is whoever gets to... Once somebody gets to five potions or whatever the combination of potions, I can't remember the exact number we used, the game is over. We count up our points. Kids loved it. It was fine. We didn't really worry about the extra abilities. We didn't worry about the bonuses or any of that stuff um just taking those marbles out of the the dispenser they love that (laughs) it's so easy but they love it um and then king domino because it doesn't get any simpler than king domino this is you know i would put this up there in terms of like gateway games is one of the better ones just that is all purpose all family now this is from blue orange which means it is more family oriented um but it your decision tree is very small You only ever have four options if you're going first. And if you're not going first, you often only have one or two options. And you're going to take that. and You're going to place it somewhere in your little tableau. And that's it. That's all you're trying to do. You're trying to build out large chunks of things. Um, So there you go. Bunch of good stuff. Uh, These are all great for children. They're all great for adults. They're all great for anybody because they don't. They're not trying to be children's games first, but they're trying to be accessible, which makes them good children's games.
1: All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris.
0: Hey, and this is Anthony.
1: And we'll save you all. i see you at the table. Take care.
0: Bye.